There's one thing that the Bible is clear on, I do believe, beloved, and that is that work is something that God commends. I mean, you might even say that God commands it. But you can surely say that he commends it. From the very beginning, God's people were expected to labor and to be productive with their time and with their lives. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15, we see this from the very beginning, that God not only created Adam, but like God, God expected Adam to work and be productive. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 14 and 23 that all work brings a profit. Because work is profitable. The Bible reminds us, doesn't it? Clearly reminds us. It's in the mind of the Apostle Paul, it was clear. Second Thessalonians 3 and 16, that if a man doesn't work, shouldn't be eaten. Now, that probably needs some explaining, you know, but I'm saying in the Apostle Paul's mind, that was clear. I like what Jesus says to his disciples in John chapter 9 and verse 4. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Work is commendable, beloved. It's commendable. It is expected of God's people. And in some way, work is sacred. It is sanctioned and it is ordained by God for his glory. And this is true because God loves to work. God worked in creation. He continually, every day, every moment, loves to work in our lives. And therefore, it is no wonder, nor should we consider it strange that his disciples, or Christians, are referred to as laborers in the kingdom of God. Jesus called his disciples and he put them to work. Now, this is the nature of the kingdom of God. It's what our text reminds us of this morning. It reminds us that the kingdom of God is referred to as a harvest, and the people of God are laborers, workers, sent into the harvest as kingdom workers. Kingdom workers. Kingdom laborers how our text begins. It begins with a most important commission. In Luke chapter 10 and verse 1, the Bible says that after this, the Lord appointed 72 others besides the 12 and sent them two by two ahead of him to go into every town and place where he was about to go. He commissioned 72 disciples, as he had done the 12 just previously in chapter 9, 
This time he takes 72 of his disciples and sent them out to work to proclaim the kingdom of God, to reap a harvest for the kingdom. There's something important that you should notice about these workers before you examine their mission. You need to understand something important about them, and that is this. First, they were appointed, and then they were sent. Two things. They were appointed, and then they were sent. They were appointed. In other words, they were called. They were called by the Lord himself. As we see in Acts chapter 13 and and verse 48, these were divine appointments. These 72 were chosen by a sovereign and gracious Lord himself. He chose the 12. He chose the 72. He chose me. He chose you. Listen, beloved, there are no accidental Christians. You don't get eternal life by accident. Nobody goes to heaven by mistake. God didn't make a mistake or misjudge in choosing the 72. And he didn't make a mistake and misjudge in choosing you. I know it feels like that sometimes, but let's be clear this morning. There are no accidental disciples of Jesus. He's not like us. He's not like us, beloved. He doesn't regret his choices. I've made some bad choices in my life. Some of you are making bad choices now even as we speak. Isn't it good to know that God doesn't make any bad choices. Like the 12 and like the 72. You and I have been chosen on purpose, for a purpose. Chosen on purpose for a purpose. He chose rightly. He chose rightly. He knew what he was doing in the choosing. He didn't choose 75. He didn't choose 68. He chose 72. Why? Because that was the number. That was the number. You read a commentary, they're going to tell you, well, this is what, no, no. He chose 72 because that was the number. That was the number that God had ordained. He knows how many will populate his kingdom. He knows knows the number. He knows the number he has chosen. He knows how many will receive eternal life. He knows. He knows how many he has chosen. Not only because he chose them, but he chose them on purpose. Chose them on purpose. He chose them for purpose. He know he chose them on purpose. 
and chose them for a purpose because it says he chose them and then he sent them. Sent them. He chose them to be apostles. That's the word. That's what the word sent means. An apostle is one who is sent. They were sent on purpose with a purpose to labor for a harvest in the kingdom. That's why he chose them. And in this sense, beloved, in this sense, we are all apostles. We are all called. And we are all sent to proclaim the kingdom of God. You are not called just because you were called. You and I were not just called to be ornaments in the church on Sunday morning. You were not called just to sit, look up in the sky, and wait for the Lord to return. No, beloved, like the 72, you and I are called and sent, sent to work, sent to labor. We're all laborers. We're all workers. We're all apostles called and sent to proclaim the glory of Christ and the kingdom of God. You know what I really like about these 72? I like the fact they were nameless. I love the fact that they were nameless. This is not Peter. This is not James or John. This is not Philip or Andrew. These were nameless. Nameless. Why? Because in the kingdom of God, nobody, God doesn't care about your name. Names are something we make much of. Personalities are something that we make much of. But in the kingdom of God, what matters is workers, laborers. And not only were they nameless, beloved, but they were nationless. Where did these come from? Where did they come from? Jews and Gentiles? We don't know. Laborers. No name. No nation, they just laborers coming from every nation, every language, and every people. No names, no names, no nations, Jews and Gentiles, men and women, boys and girls. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. All are called. And in calling, all are sent. And in sending, all labor. Why? Because, beloved, all that matters is the one who called. In the kingdom of God is not the messenger that matters. It's the message. It's the message. It's the message. That's why the Williams brothers had it right when they said, I'm just a nobody. Trying to tell everybody about somebody who can save anybody. Why? Because the messenger isn't important. It's the message. It's the king. And the kingdom of God is near. 
That's what matters. We're all kingdom workers, beloved. We're all laboring for the glory of the king. And I like the old hymn that says that you may not preach like Peter, and you may not preach like Paul, but you can tell the love of Jesus, and you can tell that he died for us all. The kingdom of God this morning is open to everyone. The kingdom of God is for all. And all those who receive it are called upon to share it. All who receive it are called upon to share it, to labor in bringing the kingdom to others. But to do that effectively, there are certain things that Jesus wanted his, his workers to know. There are certain things that Jesus wants us to know or be reminded of this morning concerning this kingdom labor. He called them and he sent them. But before he sent them, he reminded them of some important kingdom-specific Points for the workers. What did he tell them? The first thing he told them is that the kingdom is built on prayer. Before you go, remember this, that the kingdom is built on prayer. When they were called into the work of the kingdom, the first work they were called to do was to pray. Listen to what he says in verse 2. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Before you go, pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. Why? Because there are few laborers and there is much work. So before you get going, Pray. Pray earnestly. Why? Pray earnestly because there is this 80-20 rule, Brother Bob. What is the 80-20 rule? That 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. Is that true, beloved? That's surely not true at East Point Church, Pastor Phil. No, 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 no. No, no, no. More like 70-30. Right? We got a little special grace. They say that in the church, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. If that is true, then we need to pray. We need to be praying. This is what Jesus is saying. There is a lot of work to be done, and there are few laborers. Y'all need to pray. Because prayer is foundational to any work in the kingdom. Why? Because, beloved, it is an admission to trust and dependence upon God. What do you pray for? 
Well, Jesus tells us what to pray for. You pray for more. That's what you pray for. Pray for more. More. The work does not progress without the help of the Lord. This work is not fruitful without the help of the Lord. The work is not lasting without the help of the Lord. And so, therefore, you pray. 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 Pray for more. More laborers. Pray for more workers. The harvest is ready. The work is plentiful. Pray for more labors. Those who would realize that they are not just called, but they have been sent. Pray that the Lord would awaken them, the ornaments that sit around and decorate the church. Pray that the Lord would waken them and realize, beloved, that they are not simply just pew sitters, but they were saved to serve. You weren't saved to sit. You were saved to serve. And I can't make you serve, but I pray that the Lord would awaken you to the fact that you were not just called, but you have been sent to labor, to work, to pray. Pray for more. Pray for more workers. Pray for a more bountiful harvest. Pray that your labors are fruitful. That's what you pray. Before you go, not only pray that you would get some co-workers to come and, and, and be with you, but pray that your labors would be fruitful. That you would, as Paul says in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 10, bear much fruit in every good work. That's what you pray for. That's what we're praying for. That our lives would be bearing much fruit in every good work. Pray, pray that the Lord would see fit to bear much fruit through us so that in seeing that, beloved, we would say, like the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 and 58, beloved brothers and sisters, be ye steadfast, be ye unmovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Because you know that your labors in the Lord are not vain. Pray. Pray for more workers. Pray. Pray that the work would be fruitful. Pray so that we might sing like the Ingalls used to sing in that small country church in Walnut Grove. Sowing in the morning, sowing seeds of kindness, sowing in the noontime and the dewy eve, waiting for the harvest and the time of weeping, we shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. Bringing in the sheaves. Bringing in the sheaves. We shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves.
Some of you don't even know who Laura Ingalls is. Never even heard of Walnut Grove. Shame on you. It don't get much better than Little House on the Prairie, beloved. <laughs> At least my wife doesn't think so. Pray, beloved, pray. Pray, 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 pray. What do you pray for? You pray for more. Who do you pray for? Who do you pray to? You pray to the Lord of the harvest. You pray to the Lord. He is called the Lord of the harvest. He's called the Lord of the harvest for a reason. Why? Because he is the only one who can choose the workers. So you pray, Lord, choose more workers. Lord, send more workers. I can't choose them. I can't send them. That's why I try to remind the elders all the time. They're not our children. You belong to the Lord. Pray that the Lord will fix them. Pray that the Lord will change them. Pray that the Lord will call them, awaken them. Pray that the Lord will send them. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. Because he's the only one that can choose them. Pray to the Lord. Why? Because he's the only one who can really harvest. He's the only one who can really give the harvest, beloved. And so you pray to him. Before you go, before you serve, Lord, pray that you would bear much fruit through me. Pray, pray that the Lord of the harvest would bring forth a harvest. Pray to the Lord because only he can bring the joy of increase. There's no increase without the Lord. There's no harvest without the Lord of the harvest. As Paul reminded his brothers and sisters in Corinth in chapter 3 and verse 6, he said, you do realize, don't you, that I planted and Apollos watered, but it was God who was making everything grow. And it's God who makes everything grow, beloved. And if God isn't growing it, it's going to wither on the vine. And that's why you pray. You want to increase, pray the Lord would increase it. You want to see growth, pray the Lord would grow it. You want to see fruit, pray the Lord would give fruit. Why? So that neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. No. But only God who makes things What do you pray for? You pray for more. Who do you pray to? You pray to the Lord. And there's only one person who can make it grow. And he's the Lord of the harvest. And that's why we worship him. We worship him. We worship him this day. Because he's the Lord of the harvest. And we worship him. And we worship you this day. You're reminding them before you go, the kingdom of God is built on prayer. 
Not only is it built on prayer, it is a kingdom of God provisions. You got to trust the Lord. Hey, when you go out there, I know it's going to be tempting to trust in other things and other people, but when you go, trust the Lord. The Lord sent them out and told them, be looking for nothing or no one but the Lord and his people to care for them. Notice what he says in verse 3 of Luke 10. Go, I'm sending you out like lamb among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. No purse, no bag, no shoes, and don't get talking or distracted by the people on the road. Now, obviously, beloved, obviously, you know, you read this and you understand that Jesus did not anticipate them to be gone long, okay? He told them, don't take any provisions, you know, this is a short-term mission trip, Pastor Phil, okay? We're not going there permanently, okay? Don't take any of these things and don't get distracted, this was a short-term one. And we know it was short-term because in verse 17, the Bible tells us that they returned. And when they returned, they talked about all of their triumphs and victory while they were out on call. They would not be gone long enough to concern themselves about long-term care. But still, beloved, still, in this short-term trip, there were lessons to be learned concerning kingdom labor. Jesus was setting them up for a more long-term faith ministry. Because for those who are truly called and sent, beloved, reliance upon Jesus is the first and foremost desire of their lives. Jesus here is setting them up so that they might understand that as they go through life and as they serve, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith and not by sight. And no one knows this better than those faithfully serving in the ministry. You want to walk by faith? <laughs> Live your life depending on the faithfulness of others. <laughs> Live your life depending on the, the good graces of God's people. You want to live by faith? The kingdom harvest is a faith ministry, relying on God's provisions through God's people. It's what it is, beloved. Missionaries know this. God's pastors and evangelists understand this. And therefore, all God's people need to remember this as well. The ministry of the kingdom is not supplied by the world. It is not supplied by strangers. And therefore, he tells his disciples, don't you go begging help along the road. Because the ministry of the kingdom is not supplied by the world. It is supplied by God through his people. 
And he tells them that. So when they get to the houses in verse 7 of chapter 10, he says, you are to remain in the same house eating and drinking what they provide. They provide. Why? Because the labor deserves his wages. It is in those it is from those who welcome you in their home, those who embrace the kingdom of God. These are those who supply the laborers in the kingdom. Now, why is that important? That is important so that we understand, beloved, that giving is not optional. Giving is not optional. Kingdom People supply kingdom work. And what you are given, you are to give to those who are doing God's work. The work of preaching, the work of serving, the work of encouraging, the work of building, the work of harvesting in the kingdom of God. If you don't supply the kingdom, who will? That is why giving is not optional. Even if you can't go, you can give. If you don't give to church and give to missions, who will, beloved? God supplies his mission. And the primary way of doing this is through God's people. And those he sends, their primary supply should not be strangers of the world. It should be the people of God who recognize that God is called and God is sent. And we have to support we have to supply. This is what Paul told the Philippians. He told the Philippians, brothers and sisters, he called them co-laborers. <laughs> he called them fellow workers. And he says in, in Philippians 4 and 18, I have received full payment and more. I have received full payment from you and more. You have kept up your giving, and you have gone above and beyond. And I am fully supplied. I am well supplied, he says, not by strangers, not by the world, but by my brothers and sisters in Christ. Fully supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Do you see that, beloved? And then notice what he says. And they are a fragrant offering and a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God because this is how God ordains the kingdom to be supplied. This is the way that kingdom work goes forth. This is, a way, this is the way a harvest is witness. This is the way that the Lord of the harvest is glorified.
that his people supply the kingdom laborers. Understand when you go, this is faith ministry. Depend on God as God is working through his people to supply your need. Understand that it is kingdom proclaiming not only God's provision, but it is kingdom proclaiming God's peace. When you go, you go praying, you go trusting God's provisions, you go proclaiming God's peace. Proclaim his peace. When he sends them out, in verse 10 and verse 5, he says, when you enter a house, the first thing you say is peace to this house. Peace be upon this house. Or you could just say it like Buzz Lightyear said the first time he met those other toys in Andy's room. What did he say? I am Buzz Lightyear. I come in peace. <laughs> that's what we do, beloved. Those who are sent out in the kingdom, that's what we proclaim. We are the ambassadors of Christ. We come in peace. We come in peace. This is the message of the kingdom because this is the message of Jesus Christ to the world. The Lord of the harvest is the prince of peace. He is the prince of peace. Remember when Jesus was born? What was the, what was the angel's pronouncement concerning the incarnation? It was the incarnation of peace. Peace, peace to the world. Romans chapter 12 and verse 18 reminds us that as Christians, we are peace seekers. We're always seeking to be at peace and to live at peace. We are ambassadors of peace. We are ambassadors of reconciliation. We are preachers of peace. Christianity, beloved, is not a sword-wielding or gun-waving faith. It is not. God's people are not driving tanks and shouting threats. That's not what God calls his people to do. Why? Because we don't force people into the kingdom of God. A warring Christianity, threatening people to believe, Forcing faith upon people. Though it has been practiced in the past. And though there is evidence of it in history. Not only is it wrong, beloved, but it is antichrist. We don't take up arms to bring in the harvest. The harvest is a peaceful harvest. We pray down barriers. We shout down walls. We praise our way to victory, beloved. This is a peaceful kingdom. The kingdom of God is filled with ambassadors of Christ. And therefore, if they are ambassadors of Christ, 
and they are ambassadors of peace. And that's what we preach. We preach peace with God. We let people know that if you have been justified by faith, you now have peace with God. Your warfare with God has ended. All your sins have been paid for. Not only do we peace, preach peace with God, we also preach peace with each other. We seek peace with each other. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 19 that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, but entrusting to us this message of reconciliation, this message of peace. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That is the message. It's a message of peace. Put your swords down. Holster your guns. We come in peace to bring the message that the warfare has ended. And God has come in Jesus bringing peace to the world. You can be at peace with him. Receive the kingdom of God. Receive the kingdom of God. Beloved, it is important to remind ourselves. I, I, I am often put off and out by how Christians feel like that they have to be at war with everything in the culture. And the culture and the world knows what Christians don't like. But they don't know the peace. That is the message that we ought to proclaim. Christ comes with the message of reconciliation. He comes with a message of peace. And he, beloved, like... He has not called us to fight people into believing. He has not called us to break people into believing. He has not called us to force people into faith. He has called us to preach the message of reconciliation and to pray that the Lord of the harvest will bring forth a harvest for his glory and for the good of his workers. That's what Jesus says. When you go in the house, say, I have come in peace. And let peace be upon that household. And yet, beloved, also, the kingdom is not just a built on prayer. It is not just God's provision. 
It is not just proclaiming peace. It is also declaring God's promises. The message is a message of peace. It's a message of peace, but it carries with it certain promises. Certain promises. And in fact, God's promise is always dual promises. And this is what he says, beloved. This is what God has always said. This is what God has always said. This is what we say today, beloved. That those who believe and receive the kingdom of God receive the blessings. They receive the blessings of healing. They receive the blessings of hope. They receive the blessings of peace. They receive the blessings of salvation. They receive the blessings of the forgiveness of their sins. They receive the blessings of eternal life. But those who fail to receive and those who reject the kingdom also receive a promise. And it's the promise of judgment. It's the promise of destruction. You know why? Beloved, because the Bible reminds us that the kingdom of God has come near to all. And notice how the kingdom of God, Jesus says, has come near to the people who have peace in their home. But he also says, remind the ones who reject that the kingdom of God has come near to you too. The kingdom of God has come near to all. Those who receive and those who reject both have the kingdom of God proclaimed to them. And God has made promises to both. Those who receive and those who reject this is not new. God's promises have always been blessing and cursing. They've always been that way, beloved. Always been that way. In Deuteronomy in chapter 30 and verse 19, God says, This day I call the heavens and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Now choose life. This is what we proclaim. This is what we proclaim, beloved. It is not a sword and a shield. It is just choose. I have set before you the message of peace. Choose that. But if you don't receive the message of peace, then woe unto you. And it's not my sword that you need fear. It's not my judgment that needs concern you. It's the judgment of God. That's what, that's what Joshua said to the nation of Israel. In Joshua 24 and verse 15. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, then choose this day whom you will serve. For the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the god of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm going the way of peace. I am going the way of peace, beloved. Why? Because the kingdom of God carries this double message. It carried it. It was carried with the disciples, the 72 who went out. It is carried with us this morning. The gospel is good news because the bad news is true. That's why it's good news. 
Because the bad news is not to be ignored. John 3 and 16. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the message we proclaim. God's love has come into the world, and all those who receive and believe shall have eternal life. But you know what verse 18 says? John 3, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Not by me. I don't have to go around condemning people. I come preaching Jesus. If they don't believe, they are already condemned. Why? Because they have not believed. Shake the dust off your feet. Leave them to the Lord. I don't have to stick a knife in them to get them to turn. I don't have to threaten them with their heads cut off to get them to change their mind. That's what other religions do. Christians proclaim Jesus. And if they don't believe, then they're condemned already. Shake the dust off your feet, Jesus says. And move on. But listen, beloved, listen. It's important that we are faithful and diligent in not only praying but proclaiming that Christ has come. Over and over again. That is the message that we have been sent with. Not the message of condemnation, but the message that Christ has come. Christ has died. Christ has been raised again. And all who believe have all of their sins forgiven and receive eternal life. Anyone can believe. Anyone can believe this morning. Anyone can believe right now. That's the message that Paul proclaimed. As the message proclaimed over and over and over again, it's not a threat of condemnation, beloved. It's a reminder. As he said in Romans chapter 10 and verse 8, the word is near you, it's in your mouth, it's in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. Did you see that? It's a message. Faith is the message of faith that we proclaim. Faith in Jesus Christ. That if you declare with your mouth that Jesus Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That's our message. When did we get away from that? That's what God sends us to preach. That's what he sends us to proclaim. That is the message. And the message is clear. The message of the kingdom is clear. All those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's our prayer. 
That's our prayer, that everyone, everyone who hears the message of faith will call upon the name of the Lord and they would be saved. That's what we pray. That's why we look to the Lord of the harvest and we pray for salvation. We pray for healing. We pray for help. We pray for laborers. We pray for a full and faithful reaping. We pray for the Lord of the harvest to come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord of the harvest. We worship you. We worship you this day because you're the Lord of the harvest. You are, you are, you are, you are. My daily bread, my living well. You are, you are, you are, you are. That's what we proclaim. And that's who we worship. That's our message. May God be faithful in sending more laborers into the harvest this morning.